You know, I love what Patrick was saying before, and I wrote it down because I loved it so much. I always write things down um, that I really like because I've got a bad memory. So unless I write it down, I'm never going to remember it. So I've got this app in my phone. It's called Color Notes, and it's got like a million notes. Um, I don't know how I'll ever go back and refer to them, but I write them down. So this is another one I wrote down, a predetermined decision based on the love of God. And I love that. How good is that? And it kind of ties in with my message tonight. We're in this series on priorities. It's the Money Wise series and, and the theme tonight is priorities. And I've, the theme of my message is actually similar to what you said, Patrick. The, uh, the, my message would be entitled, How Do We Respond to a Good God? What's our, respond, what's our response to a good God? And um, just before I start, let's pray. Father God, I thank you for your word, that it's life to those who find it and healing to all their flesh. It's so powerful, Father God. It's alive and active, your word, that it never returns void, but it accomplishes everything you set it out to accomplish. Oh God, we're so thankful for it. It's life to those who find it. Thank you for breathing life into us through your word, mighty God pray you just anoint every word I speak tonight. May it encourage and inspire your people in Jesus' mighty name. And everyone said, amen. Let's give Jesus a hand. So I worked in the city um, for a number of years, about 10 years. And one of the places I worked was on Castle Ray Street, the end of Castle Ray Street. And um, it intersected with Bly Street and Hunter Street. And Right there on that kind of intersection, that corner, was a little monument. And um, I used to walk past it every day. And it always intrigued me because it said this, and if we can get the photo up on the screen, it said, to the glory of God and in commemoration of the first Christian service held in Australia, February 3rd, 1788, Reverend Richard Johnson, the chaplain, being the preacher. And it was right there in that spot. And I was like, wow, it's fascinating. Right there on that corner was the place of the first Christian service and it ended up becoming the first church in Australia. And that's February 3rd, 1788. I did a bit of research and that's exactly one week after the first fleet arrived. So the first fleet left Portsmouth in England on the 13th of May, 1787. And it took him about 18 months to get here. And it consisted of two Navy ships and nine transport vessels. 1,400 people were on the first fleet. And it's fascinating. Also, I found myself, I stumbled across it a few years ago, but I was getting my tires repaired in Parramatta outside Westfield. And I had time to kill, so I, I don't know why I do this. I sometimes wander into cemeteries, like if they're nearby. I don't know, it's a weird thing, right? It's a weird thing. And um, once I even asked, a girl out and I said, hey, do you want to have a picnic in a cemetery? Do you, I, don't, I don't know why, I'm just, they fascinate me for some reason. But anyway, I said, okay, I've got, they're fixing my tyres, you know, I don't want to go into Westfield because I, I really hate that place. But, you know, there's a cemetery there, I'll go wander through it. And I actually came across some headstones and they, they were people, they were people on the first fleet, it was remarkable. And I just came across it by accident. And they're, bar they're buried right there in Parramatta, so, you know, if if anyone wants to, you know how we've got certain connect groups for different, <laughs> if anyone wants like a cemetery focused connect group, I'm thinking, you know, guys, 
Monty? No, no, not today. Okay. So, it was described, the first fleet, as the biggest single overseas migration the world has ever seen. So, uh, 1,400 people, 736 convicts. So, most of them uh, convicts and 633 sailors and officials. Eight-month voyage and uh, they arrived on the 26th of January, 1788 with Captain Arthur Phillip. We all know that name. Who's, who's going back to primary school here? You know, who, who went to old Sydney town? No? Oh, come on. All right, that place was the best because we actually had to um, go dressed up as convicts. Did you guys ever have to do that in school? Oh, I love that. I remember just getting like pajamas and drawing arrows all over them and that was my convict. Anyway, so they arrived on the 26th. On the 27th of Jan, they unloaded and um, a week later, 10 a.m. on the Sunday, the 3rd of February, Richard Johnson, the chaplain, conducted the first Christian service in the colony of New South Wales. And that was the site of it, the photo you saw there. And it's like, well, what would he have spoken about? The first Christian service. And I'm like, okay, you know, if I'm preaching, what would I preach on that day? You know, I've got um, how many convicts? I've got 786 convicts. Um, so the, the number of convicts out, actually outnumbers the number of free men. Maybe I'd talk about freedom. Uh, I mean, they've, maybe I'd say, hey, who the sun sets free is free indeed. I don't know. I'd, I'd, you know I, I reckon I'd probably take that angle. They were at sea for eight months. Maybe I'd pull out one of, you know, Paul's shipwreck scriptures and talk about that and you know, build a message around that and how good God is, he got us through a shipwreck or, um, I mean, maybe all these guys, everyone on the first fleet, men and women, man, they left their families behind with the certainty that they'd never see them again, right? This wasn't some overseas trip, this wasn't, wasn't some three-year stint in Civil War to jail, this was a permanent migration, eight months on the seas, you are not going back, you are never seeing your family again, I mean, what what am I going to preach to these people? What am I going to preach to these convicts and a few officials? Uh, maybe I could talk about, I mean, the Garden of Eden. Maybe I could start there and encourage them. Hey, God wants you to have dominion over all these creatures you see around you. Because these guys have come from Portsmouth, England. I don't know of any native animals to England. Can anyone help me out? Are there any animals in England? And they have come to an, a land that has, uh, you know, last time I checked, 100 of the world's most deadliest animals. <laughs> and it's undeveloped. And, you know, uh, this is probably politically incorrect, but there are Aborigines there and it's, it could be quite scary for them. But I don't know. I mean, I'm used to seeing filled neck lizard now, lizards now and blue tongue lizards, but imagine seeing it for the first time when no one had ever told you about it or a red belly black snake. Maybe he would have spoken about, you know, them having dominion over all these creatures. They'd crossed high seas. Like these were really rough seas and their boats were not prepared for this. Maybe he could have shared about that. Maybe he could have shared the scripture about Jesus calming the, the storm on the sea. That would have been a nice one. 69 people died along the way. And that actually was pretty good. The second fleet that came 
um, after it, 288 people died out of the 1,000 odd that were on there. And then 144 more died on basically in a, within a few days of arrival. I'm presuming it's from the animals, but <laughs> it could have been other things. But the second fleet had, had a death rate of 41%. So this was pretty heavy stuff that they just come through. What was he going to preach about? This is what he preached about. If we can put the next photo up. <laughs> photo two. This was the text of the first sermon preached in Australia. Psalm 116, that's what those Roman numerals are. <laughs> Verse 12. What shall I render unto the Lord? for all his benefits toward me. Imagine that. Chaplain Johnson, getting up. I know what I'm going to preach to these seven, eight hundred convicts who've come through the toughest seafaring conditions, who find themselves in this new, undeveloped, strange, foreign, dangerous land. I know what I'm going to preach to them about. I'm going to preach to them about God's benefits. All these guys who've left their family will never see them again. I know what I'm going to preach about. I'm going to preach about God's benefits. Yeah, they're going to love this. They're going to love this. And he gets up and he shares his scripture. And I'm picturing the crowd going, really? Really? Benefits? What benefits? Seriously, what benefits? We've left our land. We've left our families, we're convicts, we're in chains, we're, we've trapped, you know, well, quite a few of us died along the way, we're, we're sick. I remember studying about scurvy, them starving on the seas, them being disease-ridden, all that stuff. Really? Benefits? You want to talk to me about benefits? I just got stung by a red belly black snake. And you want to talk to me about benefits, chaplain? Come on, you could have chosen something else. You could have chosen something else. You know, the other, other translations use a different word to benefits. They use the word goodness. For all his goodness to me. How shall I re repay the Lord for all his goodness to me? The New Living Translation says, um, how can I repay the Lord for all he has done? What shall I render? Maybe the crowd then would have been thinking, well, well how about a big fat complaint? <laughs> I could render that. Sorry, sorry, chaplain? Can you, can you repeat that? Did you say, you know, for all his benefits towards me? Do you mean like lack thereof? I think the chaplain was trying to make a point. And I think... He made it really well. And he understood, and the message he was trying to convey on that night is, God's goodness is not defined by the circumstances you find yourself in. And they would have been in the most horrible of circumstances, and what audacious courage and faith for him to stand up there and read that scripture to those people. Say, wow. 
what shall I render to the Lord for all these benefits towards me? And he made it really personal. That's a really personal scripture. It's not what shall we collectively, as convicts, as settlers, render to the Lord, as a church, as a new church, as a church plant here in New South Wales. What? No, it's personal. What shall I render to the Lord for all his benefits towards me? He's gone personal. And he's getting them to think, hey, if you want to connect it with rendering anything to the Lord, it's got to be connected to God's goodness. And the chaplain understood that unless you understood the goodness of God, you weren't going to render anything. And so he's emphasizing, the point he wants to emphasize is that God is good, regardless of your circumstances. Well, how is it measured? How's God's goodness measured? And it's easy for us to stop and think, okay, maybe, well, I'm just going to look at my life and measure it based on my circumstances, weigh up what's going well and weigh up what's not, what's not going so well. And if the scale, you know, depending on where the scales land, that's, that's an easy way to measure how good God is. And a lot of people do measure it that way, measure his goodness that way, unfortunately. I remember talking to this woman just on a park bench one day and we were talking about God and she said, no, I don't believe in God because God took my mum way too early. How can he be a good God? And I thought, and, and, and you know, this reminded me of that, that she defined goodness. Her whole definition of goodness and whether God was good was based on whether or not her mum lived longer or not. And so we've got to be careful how we measure God's goodness. And we've got to look to his measurement of goodness to determine how good he is. And this is kind of, I just thought about, okay, what would God's, how would God measure his own goodness? And this is what I came up with. How about this? How about you measure my goodness with this? My willingness to, to love you so much that I would leave the comfort and riches of heaven to live a perfect life on your behalf and then take your punishment voluntarily by dying on a cross without the certainty of whether you would appreciate it or not. Truly good, because I didn't let injustice go unpunished, but took it myself. Is that not the definition of goodness? Can we thank God for how good He is? It's not about whether he gives me what I want when I want it. And it's so easy to get into that mindset. You know, measuring God's goodness by how life's going on at the moment. But no, God, God is good regardless of what's going on. God is good regardless of what we're going through. God's goodness is measured by the work of the cross. God's goodness is measured the sacrifice of Jesus. God's goodness is measured by the pouring out the blood of Christ. So it's not measured by circumstances, but by God's advances and how he advanced to us and how his kingdom continues to advance. He's not good because and this is, I guess, what the chaplain would have said. He's not good because you survived. He's good because he chose not to survive. 
he's not good because of what's happening here. He's not good because of what's happening here. He's good because of what happened at Calvary. That's why God's good. Do not look at what's happening around you and make an assessment on the goodness of God. Just as Patrick was saying, predetermined. It's been predetermined. God is good. That was predetermined 2,000 years ago. That was predetermined once and for all. God is good. Can we give him some praise here tonight? And it's the first sermon in Australia. And it's like, yeah, I want to put this stake in the ground here that God is good. Because you know what? I reckon this chaplain looked ahead and said, there are going to be people, there are going to be movements, there are going to be political parties, there are going to be ideologies that are going to, that are going to come up in this land who are going to try and say that God is not good. But I'm laying this foundation. This is the first cornerstone of Australia, that God is good. God is good. And that monument will stand there forever, a testimony to the goodness of God. Because that's what the enemy wants to do. He just wants to sow doubt. He just wants to sow doubt. Is God really good? I think that's the enemy's number one ploy. That's his number one trick. Is God good? And if he can get you to start wondering whether God is good or not, then he's got a foothold. He's got a foot in the door. But I think if we keep Calvary, if we keep the work of the cross front and center, you cannot debate, you cannot doubt, you cannot deny the goodness of God. He is good. He is good. He is good. And, I mean, the scripture I was going to speak on tonight, Malachi 3.10, you know, bring the whole tithe into the storehouse. And I actually, I was going to speak about tithing. And I thought, oh, maybe I should talk about budgeting or Maybe I should talk about, you know, I read this awesome article in Forbes magazine about all these um, people, these billionaires who tithe. Some of them even aren't even Christian. And I was going to talk about that, but you know what? I felt when I prayed and I felt in my spirit that no, like I'm going to talk about the goodness of God. Because if we get a grasp of the goodness of God, you don't need like budgeting advice. You don't need Forbes magazine to to encourage you to tithe or to give to God or to render your life or render your finances or render that circumstance to God. It just happened. It's about trust. It's about trusting in God's goodness. It's about responding to His goodness, responding to the goodness of God. And, you know, have, have you... You all would have done this at one point in your life. You've been to those team building, trust building uh, workshops, exercises you probably did it at school where, you know, someone lies cross-armed like this and other people stand behind them and um, they're like, oh, you know, you just, yeah, just fall back. Fall back, they'll catch you. This is about building trust. Just let go. And they're like, really? Really? They're like, yeah, yeah, just do it, do it. And eventually they kind of drop and people do catch them, though, I mean, there are some great epic fails online, <laughs> right? We've all seen them. And it's like, okay, when it, when it comes to tithing, it's, it's a bit like the, the trust fall exercise. I can, I can sit here and tell you, um, explain every principle, you know, in tithing, it's like sowing and reaping and 
with the, with the trust fall, I could say, yeah, look, there's this thing called gravity, and when you kind of let go and surrender, you, you'll basically fall. And um, then there are these people, and they're, they're going to stand behind you, and their arms are pretty flexible, so when you hit them, you, you know, it's not going to be like you're hitting a hard surface. Their arms are actually a bit limber, so they're going to catch you, and you're going to be safe, and you're going to be comfortable. And I can explain all that to, to the person ready, ready to do the trust fall, but unless that person actually trusts, they're not going to surrender. They're not going to drop back. They're, they're not going to let go. So it's not necessarily about the principles and how they operate or it's ultimately, it is about trust. And ultimately that person standing on the edge, and that's why it's, I guess it's called the trust building exercise. The one person, the one thing that person's thinking about is can I trust them to catch me? Can I trust? Are they good? That's really what the person's thinking. Are these people behind me, are they good? Can I trust them? They, they don't care about anything else. They just care about whether they're good and they can be trusted. And I think when it comes to rendering things to God, that should also be the, the posture of our heart. And that is the question, the bottom line question, can God be trusted? Is God good? And my answer would be a big, fat, resounding yes. Who agrees with me? Let's give God a hand if you agree here tonight. He's so good. So the response is easy when you trust. When you trust the people behind you, you know they're good. The response is easy. You can let go. You can surrender. I want to just go back and read the rest of Psalm 116, which is where that scripture came from. Why don't we stand for this moment? And if the worship team can come as well. You know, the trust fall, it's, it's actually a dare. That's, that's what it comes down to. The person organizing the event will say, hey, I dare you to just let go, just fall, drop back. And without, with bringing the tithe, that's actually a dare from God as well. He says, trust me in this. Me in this, and the, the, tr the tithe is not God extracting some money from you, it's actually a trust building exercise. It is a trust building exercise. God says, Hey, you're gonna love this. You might say, Where? Well, yeah. you're gonna love it. You're, it's actually gonna build a relationship of trust between us. want to speak this over you and then we'll go into a song but at the end of it 
I want you to just reflect on that question. Just between you and God, that first sermon, that scripture, the first scripture that was read in the first church service in Australia, what shall I render to the Lord for all His benefits? love the Lord, for He heard my voice. He heard my cry for mercy, because He turned His ear to me. I will call on Him as long as I live. The cords of death entangled me. The anguish of the grave came over me. I was overcome by distress and sorrow. Then I called on the name of the Lord. Lord, save me. The Lord is gracious and righteous. Full of compassion. The Lord protects the unwary. When I was brought low, He saved me. Return to your rest, my soul. For the Lord has been good to you. For you, Lord, have delivered me from death, my eyes from tears, my feet from stumbling, that I may walk before the Lord in the land of the I trusted in the Lord when I said, I'm greatly afflicted. In my alarm, I said, everyone's a liar. What shall I return to the Lord for all His goodness to me? I will lift up the cup of salvation and call on the name of the Lord. I'll fulfill my vows to the Lord in the presence of all His people. Precious in the sight of the Lord is the death of His faithful servants. Truly I'm your servant, Lord. I serve you just as my mother did. You've freed me from my chains. I will sacrifice a thank offering to you and call on the name of the Lord. I'll fulfill my vows to the Lord in the presence of all His people, in the courts of the house of the Lord, in your midst, Jerusalem. Praise the Lord. <coughs> So we're just going to go into a song of worship now and just begin to praise Him. Let's begin to praise, to praise God. Let's begin to worship Him. Begin to reflect on His goodness. Come on, maybe you need to start declaring how good He is. Come on, what's the declaration of your heart tonight? His goodness measured. Oh God, we look to the cross. We look to the sacrifice of Jesus. We look to your love poured out, poured out for Almighty God, so that not one would perish. God, we're so thankful. We're in awe of you. Come on, let's let's worship Him, right? 